I've learned that, yeah, you really have to just trust your process, not rush things sometimes, like as hard as that is, even when we're on contracts and stuff, sometimes it's best to say, okay, I am going to miss a deadline, Mm -hmm. but the book that I'm going to give you in the end is actually going to be better than if I'd rushed it through. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast. So please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, Pam here. Welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. Today I have a very special guest who is actually one of our guest hosts on the podcast on a fairly regular basis, and that guest host is Rachel Johns. So I'm really excited to be talking to Rachel today about her new release, The Other Bridget, Rachel is a prolific author. She's had somewhere in the vicinity of 25-plus books. I think she's even lost count. She's written across the rural romance and women's fiction genres. And this new release, which is actually with a new publisher, is pushing a little bit more into the kind of rom-com genre and inspired by one of the all-time great rom-coms, which is a book that I know Rachel loves, and that is Bridget Jones. So... It's called The Other Bridget. I'm going to let Rachel tell you about that in a little minute. Now, for those of you who don't know about Rachel, she is a best-selling Australian author. As I said, she's written across a number of genres and is an absolute stalwart of the Australian writing community, heavily involved with the Romance Writers of Australia. She has a fantastic online book club and she is also now running readers' retreats, one of which I attended last year and it was brilliant and she has another one coming up very soon. So it's been a real treat to read this book and to see the new direction that Rachel's taken with her writing. I really enjoyed the book. It is feel-good, funny, but also has a few serious issues as well and a great cast of characters. So really looking forward to talking to Rachel about that. If you're watching this on video, I actually did this interview with Rachel when I was recently on holidays in Canada. And if it looks like I'm sitting on a bed, it's because I am. And uh, it was the quietest room in the house with the, that was the best for, for recording at the time. So I am in Canada as, <laughs> as we filmed this. And uh, yes, I am sitting in bed. Before we get into the interview, uh, a couple of things I wanted to tell you about. One is this brand new book by author, debut author, Maxine Fawcett. I went to the launch for this book last night at Manly, the Manly Surf Club in Sydney. Uh, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's about a woman in her 40s who's wondering if she has, is having a midlife crisis or if it's simply a cry for help. And from everything that I heard about the book last night, it sounds like a fabulous story, a real page turner, and so many different issues that I think women readers of a certain age are going to relate to. So that's Everything is Perfect by Maxine Fawcett. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. I've also come back today from the very first Inkwell Writers Group meeting for the year. I am a member of the Inkwell Writing Group. 
I've been in the writing group in its original form for, I'm going to say almost 20 years. I know that's scarily dating me, but it's just so fantastic to have a bunch of writers that you can talk to about the writing life, the writing industry, the publishing industry, who are always there to bounce ideas off. And I guess that is actually my writing tip for this week. Now, not everybody wants to be in a group. It's not for everyone. And I have mentioned that on the podcast before. But I firmly believe that you need at least one writing buddy who you can talk to about your writing, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, just to also brainstorm your ideas, to brainstorm plots, to work out plot holes, to dig into characters. You know, I've been chatting this week with my one of my writing buddies from the group, Ray Cairns, and shout out to Ray, and she and I often brainstorm ideas. I also brainstorm ideas and share work with Penelope Janu and all the members of the group. So I highly recommend that if you are a writer working in isolation, at Maxine's uh, book launch last night, she had three other members of her writing group there and they met through doing an online course. And, you know, if you're kind of not sure how to connect with other writers, doing a course, whether it's online or in person, going to some workshops, going along to writers' festivals, talking to people, meeting people, and making those connections because there's often someone else out there who wants to make that connection too and to have a writing buddy that they can share work with, talk to about, have chats over coffee about books and writing. So if you are in an isolated location, there is plenty of stuff online. Contact me if you're looking for some ideas on connections. And, you know, I highly recommend that you do have that person, at least one of them that you can brainstorm ideas with and just have someone along, you know, on your writing ride and be on their writing ride. So that's my tip for this week. So let's dive in and chat to Rachel on the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Rachel Johns, welcome back to Rights for Women. No, as usual, I love being here. So So good to chat with you. Always great to chat. And of course, you are one of our guest hosts and have already recorded an interview for the year with Amy T. Yeah, that was lots of fun too. It could have been like a three-hour podcast, I think, but I tried to keep it no longer than an hour. No, I think an hour is good. People can pause and come back to it, whatever. And also, Rach, happy birthday. It's your birthday today. Thank you so much. I wish I could say I was doing anything exciting, but I am, apart from this, this is the most exciting part of my birthday, talking to you. (laughs) No, I'm just going to be writing all day. That's good, because that means we'll get another book out soon. Hopefully. But we are here today to talk about your upcoming release, which by the time this interview comes out will be just out, The Other Bridget. And having read this book, I can actually say to everybody, honestly, this is absolutely a fabulous read. And I'm so excited to talk to you about this book, Rach, because I know this has been a long time coming. You have had the idea for this book for quite a while. I remember chatting to you about it probably a couple of years ago at an RWA conference and you said, I'm not sure. (laughs) So before we get into where the idea came from, and obviously there is a very important inspiration in in the book of Bridget Jones itself, but before we get into that, tell us what the synopsis is, a little mini synopsis for the other Bridget. Sure. So the other Bridget is about a librarian named after the famous Bridget Jones, and she feels like she's cursed in love because of her name. But she's obsessed with books and has a strong relationship with belie- in believing that books can really heal, help people and stuff. So she works in the library and her superpower is 
that she can match books to non-readers to turn them into bookworms. But her love life, yes, is not quite as as smooth and straightforward as her work life. And she realizes quite early in the book that everyone she knows who's got a really good relationship or marriage, they all met their partners um, organically, that it wasn't the way that she's trying to, which is what a lot of people are through dating apps. So she decides to give up dating apps, leave it to chance. And as soon as she does that, she suddenly gets a bit of interest from her sexy barista that she gets coffee from every morning. And also she meets her grumpy neighbor next door who seems just to be a pain in her ass. That's great. I think it gives us all the key ingredients for the story. Obviously, the other Bridget and the protagonist's name is Bridget Jones. So there's immediately a reference there to the original book, Bridget Jones by Helen Fielding. And I know just from chatting to you before, that has always been a very much a favorite book of yours. So how did your love for that book morph into this idea for your own book with a character with the same name, but obviously completely different circumstances? Yeah, it came from a few different places. I think all most books usually do. So as you said, I loved Bridget Jones' diary when I read it 20 or so which I think it's almost 30 years ago now that it came out. And I, it took me a while to realise that's the time that I wanted to write books that are really easy to relate to because they're, the characters are going through sort of the things that we go to on a day-to-day basis. They're also fun, they make you laugh, they make you cry. It's kind of books. I always had that kind of feel that I wanted to write. But this particular book came about because a couple of years ago, I, and I've probably talked about it to you before, I was writing my book Outback Secrets. And I tried, I, that was a bit of, that was a really tough book to write. I wrote 30,000 words, then scrapped it. Then I wrote 35,000 more and then scrapped it. And then I finally managed to finish. And one of the iterations of that book had a, a, a heroine or a female main character in there who was a librarian in a small town. And her superpower was that she could connect books to non-readers. And I really liked that aspect of the story that was hanging around in my head for a few years. I had to scrap that, but I thought, oh, one day I would like to come back to a librarian character who has that. And then I was talking to one of my writing friends, Rebecca Hay. We do daily, most of the time we do sprints where we, even though she's in South Australia and I'm in WA, we check in with each other and we say, okay, for the next half hour, I am not going to check my email or Facebook or anything. And we're going to write only our books and then we'll report back how much we've done in the next half hour and one time a year or so ago we were doing this and she said to me after a sprint oh I didn't get hardly anything done because I was playing phone tennis with the hospital because she'd got a text message at the beginning of the sprint for an appointment for her son with a psychologist at the hospital and it's the first she ever knew about her son supposedly needing to see a psychologist so she tried to ring the hospital back and forth eventually she found out that because her son had something else happened going on and he'd been at the hospital recently for something else, they had an appointment for someone with exactly the same name as her son, same birthday. And so there's been some sort of mix up. And so she said it was the other than her son's name. And I just said back in that email, oh, that's a good title for the book, like the other Pamela Cook or the other Rachel Johns. I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. Then we went around, did our next sprint. And in that sprint time, I titled the other Bridget Jones popped into my head and I find, I don't know about you, but I find that titles, if I've got a really strong title or if a title comes to me, suddenly the book takes shape and the story sort of comes. Mm-hmm. And that's well, I think what happened with this book, The Other Bridget Jones, because I said, thought, what would happen if you were named after a famous character called Bridget? 
And that is actually what I'd, I'd done in my librarian book years ago. I'd had the, this, the heroine was a, a father's daughter and her mum was obsessed with books and she had three older brothers who were also named after book characters. Her surname wasn't Joan, so she was just called Bridget for that reason. And so it wasn't like a big thing how it's become in this book. But I then thought, what if my character was called Bridget Jane and how would that go? So then I melded those two ideas together. And I suppose, yeah, then the rest of it came from actual the Bridget Jones diary book. I, I tried, it's not a retelling of Bridget Jones, there's many retellings and stuff, but it's definitely inspired by that book. And, and I guess one of the things that I think is appealing about Bridget Jones' diary movie and the book is that whole love triangle between Daniel Cleaver and Mark Darcy and her. And so I knew immediately I wanted to do a love triangle as well. So it was a love triangle, the librarian character and the title. So, oh, that's great. I love the way that ideas can come together like that. Like yeah. there are three or four disparate kind of places, but then over time they just meld together and become yeah. this one storyline. I think that's what you said over time is sometimes the key. And that one came together quite quickly, actually, the moment I had the title and then no. But other books, there's been something you've wanted to explore or a character, but it's not quite there. And it, sometimes it just, yeah, it takes years of that sort of idea or character or theme sitting in the back of your head and then suddenly it clicks with something else and you're off. Yeah, I love it. I love the way that creative brain works. Once you landed on that idea with the name of the character and all that sort of thing, you thought, yeah, I can draw on the Bridget Jones, the kind of love triangle type side of things. Did you have any kind of qualms or nerves about taking on a title character yes. that's so iconic in that kind of chick lit? Not that we use that term yeah. anymore, but at the time that came out, that was what it was called, the, to the chick click rom-com genre. Yeah. Did you feel nervous about doing that? Yes, no, I don't think I did because I, uh, so the thing it was, is we called it originally The Other Bridget Jones and then quickly discovered that while titles are not, you know, copyright and you can, there's so many tales of the same out there in the world and also character names are not like copyright usually, that Helen Fielding had trademarked the name Bridget Jones. Oh, okay. But you can't have Bridget Jones pasta, you can't have a Bridget Jones punch or a Bridget Jones cocktail because... Yeah, just trademarked it. So yeah. we couldn't find the other Bridget Jones. So that made me feel a little bit uneasy because even though I didn't mind, immediately, immediately we changed to the other Bridget. And I actually think that's a better title because mm. you don't have to have read Bridget Jones. Yeah, there's a few there's a few reasons why I think it's better. But then I was like, mm, this, this could get me into trouble. But then I also thought Bridget Jones' diary, the original Bridget Jones' diary, was inspired by Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And it's supposed to be a retelling of that, even though it's so I figure. Helen Fielding did it to Jane Austen. I can do it to Helen Fielding. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that when I was writing out the questions to ask you. I thought there, Helen Fielding did exactly the same thing with Pride and Prejudice and drew like real closely on it. So you've mentioned a little bit about Bridget, your main character already in terms of her superpower, but tell us a little bit more about Bridget, your character and who she is when we meet her at the beginning of the book. Yeah. So Bridget did grow up in a, a station bar in Western Australia quite isolated and then went to boarding school in Perth where she kind of had a few issues and that led to an eating disorder. She was anorexic and that's where she really consolidated her love of reading because she had a lot of time where she was in, in and out of hospital and reading helped her through that time. So we meet her past 
this, having recovered from anorexia. And yeah, just in, in a job that she loves in a place with friends that she adores, but there's still a little bit of body issue and stuff. And this may be what we talked about years ago, I don't when you mentioned, is because I had anorexia myself in my teens. And while I didn't ever got as bad as Bridget, and luckily things happened that made, I didn't go there and have to go down the hospitalization track, but I wanted to write about eating disorders for a long time because it not, so it's, wasn't it just me, but my mum had bulimia growing up and my cousins had eating disorder as well. And so that whole thing is something that I've always wanted to write about, but I always struggled. I think that years ago, I did try in an early book, one that never saw the light of day when I was trying to write for Mills and Boone years and years ago. And I remember being told being in the middle of an eating disorder is like not a good, it's like not very, the character it was too dark to, okay. for it. Uh, I think Marianne Keyes did it really well in Grown Ups, I think it was. It's hard, It's a hard subject to deal with, maybe it's because it was too close or not. But I did want to show a light there. And then I suddenly realized oh, I have recovered. Like I, it took a lot, it's 20 or so years afterwards, but I do have a reasonably healthy relationship with my body now. I still think about calories and how, but I think most women do. We, I mean, you feel guilty about eating too much and all this sort of stuff, but overall, I have a reasonably healthy relationship with food and a reasonably healthy relationship with body image. And so I wanted to show that it's possible. So yeah, so that's where she is in the book. She's still seeing a therapist, a little bit about that, but also just her general life. And yeah, it's interesting because I took a while to work out because I'm not much of a plotter. I even don't know if that would have fixed it. I think sometimes you need to get into the story and really get to know a character. But initially, I'm just trying to remember what I changed. Initially, I had her looking for love, I think, or try. And there was, then I talked to my cousin, Lizzie Dent, who's also an author, and I realized I didn't have a strong goal. And so instead, I, I changed it so that her strong goal was to stop dating apps and to find love organic. So I had to do a little bit of writing about her before I worked exactly what was going to be her draft of the story, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. So. Just going back to what you were saying about the anorexia, I think that works really well in the story because it gives the character such a strong backstory in terms of not only her relationship with her food but her relationship with her family and her mother in particular who, who helped her through that time and that that sense that she still carries some of that stuff with her. Like she's obviously recovered and but there's obviously long-lasting effects of having something like that yeah and so it gives her such a strong backstory that I think it worked really well hard, like I wasn't sure you know if if it was too lightly skimmed over yeah. you know, as you say it's a long time after for her as well just as it is for you and so it's part of her story but it's she's moved on from that yeah what the trust of this book Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you had to write your way into the character a little bit, like in terms of note taking and stuff. I know that you are pretty much a plotter, a pantser, sorry, wash my mouth now. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the process for writing the book before we get on to talking about the other characters. Was there a lot of kind of note taking at the beginning or do you do a little bit and then stop and do more ta- more note taking? How does that Always work? do a little bit of character. The main characters, I try and work out what they're archetype is I find that helps me and then make that its own thing so throw it from sort of I've got a book that I always use called Heroes and Heroines yeah that's um, right 
And, but then that just gives me a little bit of something to jump off kind of thing. And so I think a lot about the characters and that beforehand. And with this book particularly, I thought because it was inspired by Bridget Jones' diary that I was going to do a year in the life of my Bridget Jones. Uh, yep. So I started the book. When you read it, it starts on Valentine's Day. I actually, the original book started on New Year's Eve. The same, uh, same Bridget. Yeah, it was same. It was basically, yeah. and so then I didn't do a diary format. I never was going to do a diary, but I did. I was going to do month by month. That was the major big chapters, and so I started that way and thought that was just the way I was going to do it. But I didn't plot out what would happen exactly in each of those chapters. I just had the vague idea in my head what what needs to happen by the end of the year, and then I realized probably I think I'd got over almost sixty five thousand words or something. And I was only up to May in the story. And I thought, if I keep going this way, then the book could be like 200,000 words or whatever. I do write long books, so that was too long. But also, apart from that, like there was this month, so I was like, what's, I could have to drag this out. Like, what's going to happen? And I think one of the reasons I was going to do that, one thing I haven't mentioned yet, but you would know about, is that there's book club in the book, in the book as well, a lot of book club. And so, one of the reasons that I was going to do it month by month is that it could be like, each month we see what they're reading in book club and I thought a monthly book club is the standard kind yeah. of thing. And if the book was shorter, we wouldn't get enough of those characters and they're important for the plot too. And so that's why in the end, making me crazy, I was going insane because I was like, I have to have that book club. I have, how's it going to work? And I have to the month, pick my month. I can't just start a book in New Year's Eve and then finish it. Like it, the way I'd set it up, it felt like it needed to be the whole year. So then I suddenly had a thought, Hang on, if I don't start at New Year's Eve, I'm not doing a diary or whatever. I don't have to finish on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Like, Valentine's Day, I can finish it whenever. It just be as long as it needs to be. But then again, some things had to happen reasonably quickly. I wasn't, I'm trying to say this without spoilers, but I couldn't yeah, like, hard, yeah. it out every year it would have been, wouldn't have worked. But so I decided just to make the book club every two weeks instead. So I think, yeah, with fiction, sometimes we have to. I'd try to be as true to what would happen in real life as possible. I don't think most book clubs would happen every two weeks, but I figured there's a bunch of retirees, seniors who have hopefully plenty of time to read on their hands. And I just thought, yeah, I need to make it two weeks so that it keeps the story tight. So yeah, that was a big rewrite. Then I had to go back once I realized that and change it all. But I knew my heart. I realized I really have to listen to my gut and stuff now in writing and as soon as it doesn't seem to be working for me or it's I'm starting to doubt a lot I realize that's because I've done something wrong and if I just I'm trying to force it and it's actually not going to work so it's better then for me to work out what I did wrong and to go back and change it and yeah changing it meant there was a few things I had to change that I loved a few darlings I had to kill oh. because I had to change New Year's Eve party, which was at, so Xavier and Rory are two of the characters of the New Year's Eve party was at their house and it was a whole lot of other fun things going on and that. But I had to cut that, but I also wanted to keep Library Lovers Day, which was another day, but that didn't actually fit. So then I oh. changed that. You have to go in, you have to pull it all apart and in that process you lose some things, but hopefully it's better in the end. It's the overall story, yeah. Do you still, Rachel, I remember talking to you before in one of our chats and you said when you start one writing session, you go back basically to the beginning and look at everything you've done <laughs> up to that point. And then I know there was a point where you were beating yourself up about that, but then said, that's just my process and I'm just going to yeah. do it. Can you still do that? I do. I've realised, yeah, as you said, that it is just my process. I try not to read 
completely from the beginning and like slow through, but I'll, I will allow myself to skim, I skim through the manuscript, fix, fix things up here and there, fix errors. But I also find that it just, it's hard to explain, but I'll see something that I wrote, say in chapter six, just when I'm skidding through it, it'll just plop out. Like I do this, believe there's an element of magic in writing. And for some reason, the right thing plops out to me at the right time. Yeah. And I'll see something that I wrote in an earlier chapter and I'm suddenly, that I'd forgotten that I was going to draw that together with this kind of thing, but then I'll see that and I'll suddenly realize, hang on, now I know what to do in the chapter I need to write today. So yeah, it's a balance between wasting too much time mm. on through the manuscript. But I do think like I'm currently, as I mentioned, I think before we started, close to the end of writing my next book and I'm still doing that, but my deadline is way, way over. <laughs> but I will be handing it in early next week and I will not have time to read through it again yeah. before I hand it. But that actually doesn't matter with my process because yeah. you probably end up with a cleaner manuscript at the end of it all. Yeah. Cleaner and Obviously, there's still mistakes and we always have those things, but I do pick up quite a few of those. But so it's not just that it's cleaner, though. It is means that I have basically edited as I've gone. Yeah. So, you know, instead of doing multiple drafts one after the other, I'm doing multiple drafts while I'm drafting. If that makes sense? Yeah. yeah. I've actually yeah. been doing that. Just happened that I was doing yeah. that, the novella I'm writing this month. And like, I still have quite a few words to write before the end of the month yeah. in a week. I know. Me, but- are- <laughs> terrible. But because I've been going back and revising it, a lot of it, as you do, yeah. I'm pretty happy with what's there so far. And I know like, I have to go back and tweak things, but it is not, it's not going to be a massive revision at the end. Yeah, that's how I do a page book. And I think then obviously when you give it to an editor, there it doesn't mean that it's perfect, yeah. you had it over, but it means you've got it as close as you're going to do without leaving it aside for a couple of months. And when you're contracted and stuff like you can't necessarily leave it aside for a few months. So I think that time when an editor is reading it is that, that time when you can take a break for it and then come back with fresh eyes. So it's not that it's perfect and it's ready for publication, but yeah. it's as far as going to get it before that next step. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned some of the characters in the book club before. Now you something that struck me as I was reading it, there is actually quite a big cast of characters in this book. I, I <laughs> But you keep a hold on them really well. There was no point that I don't think I ever had to go back and check who the characters were. Were you conscious of that as you were writing it, the number of characters? Was uh, it kind of snowballing? <laughs> well, I thought, you know, you've got to have a book. You, for a community library book club, so the book club is hard. You have, in the book, you have Bridget, obviously, and then you have her library colleagues. I think there's four of them who are like her closest friends as well. You've got already yeah, five characters kind of thing. And then you've got her two love interests as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the, yeah. Then you, I needed, because I needed her to run a book club, which is part of the plot. Obviously, I need, needed a cast of characters in the book clubs. Yeah, that was tricky. I think the trickiest thing, though, was, and I'm not saying I've done this at all perfectly, like I think definitely there could be room for improvement there, but it's description is ne- never my strong point. But I picked about a handful of names the people in the book club that I could continually refer to and tried to give them only one really key, because they are secondary minor characters, mm-hmm. only sort of one key thing each about them that is their sort of personality. <laughs> that was hard because you don't want to, A, there's a couple of things that I think it's hard when you, it's minor characters like that, but also when they're all the same age. I don't want to 
be stereotypical and cliches, but in some ways with minor characters, it means that people immediately have an idea of what that person yeah. is like. You can't like go into so much detail and make such minor characters completely individual. So you don't want them to be cliches on one hand, but sometimes I think you need a, a little bit of that to just immediately make people recognize who they yeah. are. But I guess the, the other problem is when they're all pretty much, they're all seniors, they're all retirees, they're all reading in a book, in, like, in just book and stuff. So yeah, that, that was tricky a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And how did that you find that kind of structurally? Because you do have quite a few different threads. You've got Bridget's kind of love interest storyline with Fabio, who is fabulous, and Scully, <laughs> her neighbour. And then you've got what's going on with the libra- library itself um, and the librarian type people. And then you've got the kind of book club issues. So there were quite a few different threads going through it. That Did you find that hard to keep track of as you were writing? They didn't really know. <laughs> I think possibly that's why my process works for things like that because you just stay grounded in that stuff the whole time. And uh, But, yeah, like it is all linked. So I guess the hardest part is like all the things that are happening with the library people and the book club people and Bridget's love life ends up being quite entwined. And even I forgot there's other people too. There's the there's Lola and her mum who come into the library. That's and right. Yeah. Like, yeah, there is a big cast of characters. But yeah, it's all linked together. So I think as with any book, especially Planty Pantsing, it's just a matter of sometimes working out what needs to come in what order and I don't always get that right first. Yeah. Like sometimes that moves around as I'm writing. But no, it just happens. <laughs> oh, they're really fun characters. You referenced anorexia and there are a few other really very serious topics too that do come in, which I'm not going to talk about because I don't want to give too many spoilers. But you've got that kind of little touches of seriousness, but there's a lot of fun stuff going on and it's just a really fun group of people to hang out with. So imagine for you as a writer, it would have been really fun to write. Yeah, most of the time, as we know. Yeah, yeah, most of the time, yeah. And I think that's a thing, like to me actually, since having a bad, really bad patch a couple of years ago where I did really feel like burnout and anxiety, that's the most important thing to me now in writing books that I'm writing characters that I loved whether that's love to love or love to hate, but, you know, that I can have fun with. And, yeah, it's not always fun, as, but if you love the characters deep down, even if, even when it's hard, actually, it just reminded me, I saw this quote or heard it somewhere. It's by Ariel Lawton, who I think looked the Frozen River out recently, and it says, if you care about your work, the work is hard because you have high expectations of yourself. But I think that's the same if you care about, the characters and even when it is hard you know there's a reason to go on kind of thing yeah, that makes yeah. one of the reasons I realized in the book that I'm currently writing now apart from that I was like lost tension and stuff I when I was a bit stuck it was I think because I wasn't in love as in love with the characters as I should be so yeah. I had to go back and fall in love with them that makes yeah. sense I think that makes a lot of sense and something else I wanted to talk to you about Rach because it is obviously a romance is that the genre that you would say it falls into? It's hard because I would say it's a contemporary romance. Yeah. Um, it's being marketed as a rom-com, which is fine by me as well. I was thinking, oh, is, there, is it a rom-com? And then I was talking about this someone the other day and I thought, oh, I get it. There's a scene when her mum walks in on her and Sully. Oh, there's some very funny <laughs> and, books in it. So I guess it's a rom-com because I guess that's what a rom-com is. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, to me, it's interesting because my rural romance, they're all your point of view and you get in the head of the heroes as well whereas my women's fiction novels don't 
if I've got any with a male point of view, maybe one brief. <laughs> and so it's very, very much more women-centric and it's the male characters are, they're there because of the women, if that makes sense. It's not. Yeah. Whereas, and I suppose in this case, it's romance because you don't get the male character's point of view, but I feel like it's also slightly different from my really romance-focused ones in that there's also... Bridget's kind of on her own, like more, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's a, yeah, we've got that women's fiction and I know that title is contentious. We've yeah. talked about this before. Oh, I like it. You've made me, you've oh. found me over to Interesting. It does have that women's fiction kind of ca- main character-centric story. Yes. Like it's about yeah. her life and her journey, to use the cliched term, but, and the romance is part of that, but it's not the whole thing. I think the thing is too, when you're writing a love triangle, it's very hard to if I had chosen to write the hero's point of view or both of them, like I, if I'd have to do both of them, but then you get a track. I don't know. It's whereas, and I can't just do one of the love interests, yeah. the one that up with, because then it's very obvious from the beginning. What's the point of a love triangle? So I realized, yeah, writing a love triangle, I think I'd love to know if anyone's done it. If anyone can tell with where you have all of the point of views or it, yeah, it's a tricky thing. To do the next book that I'm writing, which is in sort of rom com genre, and it's linked to Bridget because I'm writing Fred's story. I wouldn't like to do the hero's point of view or the love interest point of view in that, but I don't think I can because it is linked to this one. So it's got to be, I feel just that we can do what we like in some ways, there's no rules, but I feel because that's going to sit side by side with the duology, I need that the story. So, Fred, for anyone who's listening, Fred is Bridget's best friend in the book short for Winifred. I feel like they need to be in the same sort of vibe tone things. I feel like it needs to be Fred's story like it was Bridget's story rather than Fred and the love interest story. Yeah. yeah. And she's such a strong character too. It'd be great for her to have her own story. Yeah. I had never intended to do that either. And it was after I'd finished that we decided that I should probably do that. And I had I had set something up in the book for her in the first draft, but then I'd taken it out that I thought, oh, hang on, that could be her story. But it was not her story in the end. But there was just one line, and this is funny how the magic, I think, of writing and stuff. There was one line I wrote in Bridget's book that says she'd only seen Fred cry twice. One was when her cat died, and the other was when her mum got married for the fourth time or something like that. And so I suddenly realised, oh, Fred's backstory has to, I think, be to do with her mum her parents kind of thing and the fact that she's afraid of commitment or anti-commitment because her mum has been married so many times. And from that one line, the whole plot has come. That is so good. I love it. I think that actually line may have come in structural edits because the editor had said to me, Fred's a bit harsh. You know what I mean? We need to see, we need to see that, yes, she's this in your face kind of strong character but sometimes she sounds across as a little cruel or a little sharp so I had to soften her a little bit towards Bridget but I also had to show that she's human and yeah. that was it that one line which so it's just yeah amazing how things work out <laughs> amazing always great to have you have your character crying over an animal because that's definitely <laughs> yeah exactly I'll save the character <laughs> literally in terms of the romance in this one, Rachel, as you said, there's the love triangle, but there's a very strong enemies to lovers trope in this, <laughs> which you must have had a lot of fun with. What have been your favourite kind of en- enemies to lovers stories that maybe have influenced you in that 
gosh, my mind is like completely gone blank now. I think my favorite probably of recent years is Emily Henry's Pitch Reader. They start strongly as enemies and there's so much good banter between them. So I love that. I also love, I read recently, Beth O'Leary's The Wake Up Call. And that's enemies to lovers. I think you can have a lot of fun. I love friends to lovers too, but it's a very different vibe. You can have a lot of fun with enemies to lovers because love and hate is such a closely related thing and you can have lots of banter in the fighting and stuff. But I think it's hard as well because there's a good reason why they're fighting. So that can be tricky. With this, it was slightly easier because of his personality. The neighbor's angle is really great because We can all relate to that. Like we've all had a neighbor that we've probably hated at one point. We might not always end up loving them. We can all relate to that situation, I think. Yeah, exactly. And that was also fun. It was just that unfortunate meeting. Not so cute, mate, meet cute. Um, That sparked their hatred of each other. One of the things is that because Bridget is a librarian and as you say, her superpower is matching books to non-readers and trying to switch them onto reading, which is, I love that whole thread of the book but we have a mutual virtual assistant Annie Bucknell Uh, (laughs) amazing big shout out to Annie and you put me on to her and she's just so helpful with the podcast but I saw on I think it was Instagram the other day or TikTok that you had given her the task of going through and counting up the number of books that were mentioned in Bridget and there were 83 yes 83 I was shocked (laughs) <laughs> she had just come it. up as you wrote. Did those books come to you? So she suggested to do that, by the way, because she'd started reading it because I gave it to her to read to do some quotes and stuff, graphics and things like that. And then she said, oh, my gosh, you've mentioned so many books. Have you kept a list? And I said, no, I didn't. I should have. And she said, oh, I'm not that far in yet. I'll go back to the start and keep the list. And so when she told me how many there were, she was like, do you want to guess how many there were? I'm like, oh, 30, maybe, 25, 30. And she said, there's 83. I could not believe it. How I chose them. It was a mixture of some that I have really loved myself and others because I was getting Bridget to choose for different people, different ages, genders, and things like that. Ones that I just knew were quite popular for those. T- and then I had to, so the majority, I'd say I've read two thirds of the books oh. that are mentioned or two thirds of the authors that are mentioned because some but there are definitely books in there that I haven't read. I haven't read 15 Minutes Italian. <laughs> a couple of the YAs, but some of them I've gone my to the art. But yeah, so that was a fun thing to do. Initially, though, I will say there was a change in the edit. I'm still not 100% sure. I hope I'm just not listening. Love you, Allie. <laughs> but I know the reason why she did this. I had written many friend books into basically instead of having all the American and TikTok kind of books that we had in there, especially for the book club. Instead of, I think in the end, the book club reads Kristen Hannah, Lessons in Chemistry, you know, ones that are quite well known. I had initially them reading friends like Australian books and, and things like that. I think in the end, the only Australian references I've kept was probably Trent Dalton because he's quite well known overseas. Maybe a Jane Harper reference. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. And and Michael Trant, because he managed to stay because I was comparing, I needed something for a blokey bloke in WA and he'd liked Lee Child previously. So Michael Trant is the only one who managed to stay in there, I think, because, yeah, my publisher said, look, if you want to hopefully appeal to an overseas market or overseas editors, 
then we probably should. But I'm not sure I'll ever appeal to an overseas marketer or an overseas editor. So I don't know where it is. Oh, as you say, that the job, we've got to listen to the pictures sometimes. Exactly. And they'll give us sometimes, that of, not always. Sometimes. Do you yeah. look like they didn't have the epilogue? <laughs> as, as I, yeah. And I fought for that and I'm glad I did. We won't say what that is, but if anyone reads it, they'll know. <laughs> I love the epilogue. Great. Well done finding on that one. Thank you. And the other thing, of course, as a avid romance writer and reader, one of the things I loved was the thread in it about romance writing and the importance of romance books and you don't shy away from really pushing how important those books can be. Because it's true, like when you write romance, you do sometimes get that sort of eye-rolly response from people and I think also in the world of romance readers or have traditionally been people who don't necessarily admit to reading it, which is always funny because romance is one of the highest selling genres, so obviously some people read it, people will admit to reading the Booker Prize or a more literary book or something that's in the, the, in the zeitgeist at the time. And that's why I really love, and I did mention a few like book talk books, and I love the fact that young people mm. loud and proud about reading their romance novels. Probably they're loud and proud about everything and they're like, I'm not going to be shamed for what I love for and good on them. But yeah, I think the tide might be slowly turning there because of that. But yeah, I did want to put that in there. Yeah. Usually, don't, I don't like trying to preach to people in books. I just explore issues and stuff. But that was one angle, I think, where I did have a little bit of a lecture. And it fits in with the character and the story. She's a librarian and she's one of her jobs is recommending books. So I think it works really well into the storyline. Good on you for pushing it in there, I think. <laughs> so you've had an enormous amount of fun with this book and it's had its challenges. You're with a new publisher for this book and you have a, a big tour. Coming up, you tell us a little what then for the tour for the other Bridget. Yeah, we're going a lot of places in the southwest of Dudley Way to start with and Perth, a lot of old favourite places that I've been to before. And then I'm going to Sydney and doing a books and bars in Dimmick, Sydney and a Newcastle event, I think. Then going up to Queensland, quite a lot of invite events there. And then Back, they then back to New Victoria after three events there, one in Bread Melbourne, I think two in Melbourne and then one in Geelong and then back to Sydney for a last luncheon to finish it all off. Oh, so, yeah. In Sydney, where's the luncheon at? It's a restaurant with Fiona Higgins. Sounds good. What would you say, Rach, I know that we've talked about this on the podcast before in terms of your process and just being someone who is has been very prolific, you've had well into the 20s in terms of the number of books that you've written in the last 10 or 12 years. What would you say be the most important things you've learnt about writing and publishing in recent times, maybe in the last couple of years? I think the most important thing I've learnt about writing is that you really can't fight your process and also that you have to trust your gut. And I like, I'm probably not, I'm not woo-woo in any other aspect of my life, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm very believing that there's an element of magic in writing, but also that your body has to be in tune with your mind. It sounds really bizarre. And as soon as I'm feeling in my gut that something's wrong, I know then, now, I feel like it's hard to explain, but I'm, I guess the more books you write, the more intuitive you become in a way. There's a lot of mistakes you've made and that in some ways makes things harder, but I've learned that I can fix almost anything. It's really hard sometimes, but so I, I've learned that you have to follow your gut and that you have to not let rest on your laurels. And I 
know that I could say the book that I was writing, I'm writing now, I could have just finished it once my gut started to tell me that it lost attention and it would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been the best thing that I could do at the time. And so I think I've learned that, yeah, you really have to just trust your process, not rush things sometimes, like as hard as that is, even when we're on contracts and stuff, sometimes it's best to say, okay, I am going to miss a deadline, Mm -hmm. but the book that I'm going to give you in the end is actually going to be better than if I'd rushed it through. I've just learned to be kind to myself, to allow myself thinking time. It's really good. Yeah. The other part was publishing. What have you learned? What I've learned in publishing, and I actually talked about this, and you going to be on your podcast soon. We were having a chat the other day. Is that really you have control over nothing? No matter whether you're self published, indie published, hybrid, or traditional publishing, you have no, no control over how anyone else is going to receive your book. You have no control whether Reese Witherspoon is going to pick it up or whether the publisher is going to put all the money into it kind of thing and really push it. And even if they do, it doesn't mean that anything, it's publishers put lots of money in some things and it works and other things they put lots of money into and just doesn't, whatever the zeitgeist that does what it wants to do. And so literally you have no control over any of that. What you have control over is the book mm. and doing the best that you can in that book. And that's really, that can be really disheartening because you can put a lot, I think it's one of the careers where you can put so much effort in, you can work really hard and it doesn't necessarily pay off in terms of financially or what we see as success in other ways. So I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing I have learned that to manage my expectations, to try and not compare myself to other people and to realize that, yeah, when it comes to publishing, there's so much out of our control. The only thing we can control is the book, really. Yeah. Great. Great advice. Listen, I'm really excited. I love the book. I can't wait to see you in Sydney at the Books and Bars. See you too. Very soon. And uh, all the best with the book, Rach. I'm going to let you get on and enjoy the rest of your day because it is your birthday. So enjoy that. Back to this book. And I, I was about to say you're going back to the ski slopes because you've been recording from, but it's a bit late now there, isn't it? It is. It's now, <laughs> so uh, I should have mentioned at the beginning, it's actually now 6.20 in Silver Star in Canada where I've been holidaying and we are chatting from, you're in Perth on the other side of the world. Yes. Hot and cold. Yeah. And so I've had the day like skiing. I went snowshoeing. I've been in the hot tub and we're going out for dinner. So that's me. Enjoy your dinner. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Rach. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website so much great writing advice in the library there and you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too you can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through patreon and you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com on instagram and twitter at w4w podcast the facebook page rights for women or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au thanks for listening have a great week And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.